You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Lin. This is the show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, to live and to sell. Welcome back to season ten. This is episode three. This episode is brought to you by SocialLightVault.com. Are you overwhelmed with the marketing your home staging business? Stop wasting time worrying or wondering if you're doing the right things. From social media to email newsletter that get attention of listing agents, Social Light Vault makes marketing simple and effective. You don't need a huge marketing budget. You don't need a huge audience either. You just need real marketing tools that work and the right sales funnel to deliver new leads, even when you aren't working. The team at Social Light specializes in marketing for home stagers. Get started today by going to SocialLightVault.com. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show. So today I have a total rock star in the home staging world. So Joanne Leonard Wary is a professional interior decorator and 40-year industry veteran who was staging and redesigning before the terms were even coined. This experience led to the founding of what is now called the Decorating and Staging Academy in 1999. Along with Carol Bass and Sandra Raj, they built the DSA to one of the most well-rounded training group in the country. Joanne has taught thousands over the years on both a professional and non-professional level, and is a frequent national speaker for the decorating industry. She has appeared on HGTV, ABC TV, and many regional TV segments around the country. Joanne is a creator of many industry tools such as the Confident Consultation, Decorating in the Zone, the Confident Color System, the DIY series, and How to Decorate and Stage. She believes in arming yourself with information you can implement with a client immediately. I really enjoyed talking to Joanne about colors today. I thought she did a really great job in breaking down really complicated process. And then also she talked about how to choose colors and picking the right colors for the home. We also talked about paint finishes and how light affects colors, and also different types of paint with different types of companies. We also answer some listener questions as well. So I think it's a really really good episode. And also just a quick reminder that I'm teaching a class of free training on marketing for home stagers on October 15th. And you can go to stagemore.com/slash/free-training to sign up. So during this free training, we're going to really talk about how to pull these simple and effective strategies together to help you market smarter and get more consistent clients that you want to work with, and also achieving really good ROI, and then also make very targetable and actionable steps to systematize your marketing. So I think it's really going to be a really good one. So feel free to come join me on October fifteenth. And again, if you want to sign up, just go to stagemore.com/slash/free-training. So hi, Joanne. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited to have you because I've heard about you so many times, and I feel like I know you already. So before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how did you get into colors? Absolutely, and thank you so much for inviting me、uh, to join you. I'm really excited about sharing with your、uh, audience today.、Um, from my standpoint, and I'm sure many of you can relate to my story. As a little girl, I loved making rooms look pretty and making things look pretty, and I was always rearranging my bedroom. My mother was an interior decorator. 
And um, for a while, she worked every Saturday, and every Saturday, she would come home, and I would have rearranged the living room in our home. And I was uh, 11 or 12 at the time. And thank God my mom was so generous about allowing me to experiment uh, that really helped me to understand, you know, the spatial quality of things and composition and that kind of thing. And truly, Cindy, if I would not have been able to move a piece of furniture, I think I probably would have been an anxious child. It was kind of like my release, um, if you will. And eventually, my mom's friends at my age of 12 and 13 started calling me and they would rent me for a day to come and rearrange their own living room. So from that, I started a wallpapering and painting business. Now, I've been in business 44 years. So when I began, wallpaper was a very big thing. All I cared about was getting into houses without breaking the law. So a wallpaper and painting business worked for me and I had my real estate license. So I had no formal education at this point, but I saw how everything I did, moving furniture, you know, looking at colors, understanding the way people lived, all of that impacted what I would be doing. So I would be on a ladder hanging wallpaper and say to my client, Mary, the sofa really needs to be over there. And they would move it. And then people started calling me and saying, you were the sloppiest painter I have ever met, but I loved your design ideas. Would you come back and help me with the project? So lo and behold, my clients, my wallpapering and painting and my real estate clients really grew my business. That is so amazing. So you've been working in this industry for so long. Why do you think color is such a powerful presence in our lives that it can impact how we feel and perceive the world? Well, I think the thing about color is it has a number of very important components to it. But the two biggest things is that color will impact the emotion in that room before anything else does. Then placement comes into play. But color is going to give you an immediate sense of how you feel. And I'm not talking about textbook, blue makes you calm and red makes you anxious. What it really is going to cause a reaction to is what you bring to the table. So if you and I were in the same room, Color could make you feel one way because of life experiences or our cultural differences. So you might love us a color in a room and I may not like it. And so for those of us that are in the industry, not only do we have to tap into what goes with what effectively, but we also have to tap into what I call our client's DNA are darn near always, because our darn near always is going to impact the color palettes that we select, the shape of a sofa, the way an arm is shaped, the legs on your table. Our DNA is going to take us to a room that we either love or dislike. So it's important for us, first of all, as professionals to tap into your client's color DNA. 
and of course that changes. I mean, your, your focus is on home staging. So there's some differences there because we're looking at color, how to appeal to a larger audience than our specific client, but we still need to understand that what color does and how it impacts us emotionally. Second of all, color impacts our perception of the room as in its size, in its comfort level, in the way that it has been maintained. Color tells all those stories. With color, I can make a room feel taller, shorter, wider, larger, more intimate. It's a tool that I can use to manipulate a space very inexpensively. I think that was amazing. And just a follow-up question about what you said, because like, you know, our show really is the purpose is about home staging. So we really don't know who is coming through the door. So how do you deal with that when you're putting the color story together for staging? Because say a lot of times now we found out a lot of men are actually colorblind or you don't know who is coming through. Maybe they had a bad reaction associated with a certain color. So as a stager, how would you deal with those kind of situations? Well, one of the things that I think has happened in being in this industry for so many years, when we first began, when staging was was growing in popularity, we were creating what I call big bowls of oatmeal. Our room was tone on tone on tone on tone. And the idea was that by not using any color, we didn't offend anybody. And as time has gone on, our audience is more sophisticated than they used to be due to things like the internet and cable television. So they have a higher expectation level of what they're doing. So for anyone that's listening, if you have a Sherwin-Williams color deck, um, grab it while we are talking because I'm going to reference that a couple of times. And for those that don't, I'll make sure, Cindy, that you have a couple things you can put in your show notes to help them see the visual. That would be perfect, yeah. But one of the things, if you, for those of you that do have a Sherwin-Williams color deck in front of you, I'd like you to take a look as, at strip 242, 242. Now, one of the ways that we can really control how someone feels in a space is to use value effectively. So as you said, Cindy, you know, we hear more and more about men that are colorblind. So if we cannot get them to recognize the color, what we can get them to recognize is the brightness or the dullness of the color. So if you're looking at strip 242, we are looking at a strip that has seven values of color on this strip. Now strip 242 happens to be an orange. This is what I call a neutralized orange. So it is going to be in the grays that many people refer to as grayages. Now that's kind of one of the, the newer buzzwords. But if you were to use this strip and you were doing an open concept, but you moved up and down the strip and varied the values, now you would create interest even for someone 
who does not see color clearly, they're going to see that transition of light to dark. Does that make sense, Cindy? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So as I said, by using color effectively, you're right. I can't tap into the emotion of everyone that is coming in that room uh, when we are staging because it it is personal. As I said, it's your own DNA, your own darn near always. But what I can tap into is by using values in the color and controlling the saturation level of the colors that I am using, I can still create an interest or a room that will have a broad appeal because I've used color effectively to manipulate the space, to make it look larger, to play up what I call the money makers in the room, albeit the fireplace, the floor, the view. You can use color to do all of those things and make the house look like it is worth more. That's amazing. Yeah, I do think the trends have changed throughout the years because I think you're right. In the beginning, when staging becoming more popular, everyone was a bit afraid of color. So everyone used very neutral colors. It's a little washed out, I think, sometimes even when we're looking back at the older photos. And now lifestyle staging is very, very trendy. I think it has to do with millennials. It's all about injecting personality and lifestyle we're we're even blending a bit of interior decorating interior design elements into staging now so yeah so people want a more and more colorful interiors even when they're looking at stage homes i think these are very these are very valid points Right. So, you know, uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, even five years ago, if we were looking at a strip of paint that all the Sherwin-Williams ones happen to have seven values on them, as do many of the other um, companies, we would tend to say it, stay at value one or two. And now we see that there is a desire for colors with a little more body. So now you're going to use value three, four, or five. You might even use value seven as an accent color in an unexpected place, you know, behind a bookcase or in a dining room, a room that you want some drama in. So don't limit yourself to creating bowls of oatmeal because they really don't sell. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the market is changing. I think people do want more colors and personalities as well. And so what are some of the common mistakes that you see with homeowners or even home design professionals when it comes to choosing colors? The number one mistake that people make is not understanding how to use saturation correctly. So I always tell my students, we are looking for a color palette that completes, not competes. So my own personal deck uh, color deck is divided, not numerically, not the way it came from the factory, but I've completely dismantled my deck and I have it stacked in order of um, saturation. And again, for those that might have a Sherwin-Williams deck in front of them, I would encourage you to look at 101, 102, and 190. So if you're looking at those strips, what you are looking at is 
three different levels of saturation of the hue red-violet. And saturation is a component of color that impacts emotion. So for those of you that don't have a deck in front of you, let me kind of explain what I'm talking about. So strip number 101 is a red-violet. It is the purest, most saturated version of red-violet that you can see. Strip number 102 is a step down from that. The red-violets in that strip are still very clean and crisp. When we get to 190, the red violets in that color are going to be more muted, more subdued. They are tones. The color has been impacted by gray or the um, complement of the color. So if you were looking at all three of these strips and I said to you, which color would you use, which strip would you use to create a very bold, vibrant space? You would go to the strip that had the boldest saturations, but that saturation level also would completely detract from anything you were trying to sell in that house. All you would see is the color. If you were to mix together neutrals with any of these colors, strip 101 and 102 would overpower the neutrals. I call them the diva colors. So they're beautiful colors and there is certainly a place for them. But when you are staging, they are palettes that you should ignore because the color demands the attention as opposed to something like strip 190, which is more muted. With that, you can see that it just makes it easier on the eye. You move through the space more effectively. So completing, not competing, is the biggest mistake that people make. So when you try to mix too heavily saturated of a color with neutrals, it's going to overpower them. It's going to age them. It's going to make them look dirty. And there are two common places in staging that we do this the front door of the house. So the, the house is painted in a neutral color and, and in all your wisdom, you say, hey, let's pop that front door color and you use something that is more saturated and vibrant. And suddenly, all you notice is the front door. And not only do you only notice the front door, what also happens is your eye is drawn to that front door, which is typically in the center of the house. You just made that house smaller because instead of your eyes being drawn to the fullness of the house, corner to corner, all you noticed was the door. The other place that we commonly do this is on the interior where you will do a room primarily in neutrals and then you add that pop of color to the interior of the space like on the sofa or the coffee table with a floral arrangement. So again, when a potential buyer walks in, their eye path is going to go immediately to that pop of color. And that pop of color then just made your room smaller because it needed to have been used on the exterior of the room or the perimeter of the room as well as inside. So make sure you're mixing saturations that 
complete, not compete. And also when you are using a accent color or a pop color, make sure you put it in a place that it maximizes the size of the room and doesn't just draw your eye to it. I think this is so fascinating. Okay. So say we want to make the focal point of living room pop, which is usually a fireplace. So where would you, how would you distribute your colors to make sure that we really highlight the focal point of this room? So one of the things that you could do is let's say the room is done primarily in a neutral palette. You've mixed your values and maybe used three or four values within that space. And you brought in your accent color, your pop color that you used in your throws and your pillows on the sofa. Make sure you bring that color to the fireplace as well. It could be in the art. It could be in some decor pieces that are sitting on the mantle. It might possibly be the mat. The key is that you want to bring that color at two different heights. So I divide a room vertically into what I call three zones. So I have the function zone that goes up to 36 inches the power zone, 36 to 78 inches, and then my skylight zone, 78 inches up to and including the ceiling. So if you're trying to uh, really draw attention to the money makers, and in this case, the fireplace, you will have some color on the pillows on the sofa. Those are in the function zone. Now I want you to bring that color up into the power zone, that 36 to 78 inches so above the fireplace because now what you just did was you drew attention to one of the money makers or the price validators in that room and you also made the room appear larger because you brought the eye up from the floor so use the color on the perimeter where your moneymaker is and use it again on the interior. And that is going to draw your eye to those elements that are helping you to sell that space. That is amazing. And so I think a lot of audience or even professionals too, they're a little bit scared when it comes to picking colors for the house because they're afraid that they're going to pick the wrong paint color and it's going to cost a homeowner a lot of money to repaint. And like we just talk about, there are so many different variables that can really change your final result. So how do you go about putting that color palette together when you walk into the home? So there's two different approaches if we're talking about staging or the design approach. So let's talk a little bit about both of them, if I may. So if I am staging, I am going to back away and think for a moment about who is my target market. I am also going to take some time and look at your portfolio of pictures from before. Are you doing the same thing over and over and over again? I call it creating mini-me rooms. It's like, oh, well, Joanne was here. I can tell this is her signature color palette. So make sure you do not get repetitive in what we're doing. When I hear someone say, oh, my favorite color is agreeable gray. I use it again and again. I cringe because it's like, really? all of these colors we have to choose and you use the same one again and again. But that is because like you say, their fear 
of what can happen. So when it comes to that room, I want to know where does my client tend to sit? Am I working with empty nesters, baby boomers, millennials? Because that's going to allow me to be a little more creative in the value of my color. Am I going with lighter colors because my clients are older and when we are older, we don't see things as clearly um, because our eyes yellow. And you're talking to a woman who just had cataract surgery back in December and I was like, oh my God, there's, there's a whole world out there that I didn't even know. And I teach color all over the world. So if you're working with an older target market, Keep those values lighter. Stay in value one and two primarily. If you are working with a younger market, move down to that value three and four. Also, look at your colors and avoid anything that seems cool-based. Unless you live right on the ocean, for the most part, cool-based colors, neutrals, do not have the visual appeal to them. So look for colors that seem to have a warm base to them. And again, well, let's talk about 242. Um, and that is a strip that has popular gray, versatile gray, perfect grayish. Those are still staying in that gray family but they have warmth to them as opposed to our short little stint where grays were much more cool and a blue based and they don't feel good to a lot of people. So look for a neutral that has a warm tone. The other thing that will help you when you are staging for the most part, if the color looks better with white, then off-white, it's not as effective of a staging color. So although we are painting woodwork white a lot, the reality is that what you're seeing may not be a true blue, pure white. So as you're looking at a color, and again, I'm all referenced 242, as I look at 242, I can see that that would be better with a white that has some warmth to it or an off-white color as opposed to a crisp, clean white. So when you are selecting your colors, give it the white test. That's really fascinating. Can you talk a little bit more about the white test? Like what exactly do you do? Absolutely. I can talk a little more about anything, Cindy, because <laughs> it's one thing I do really well is talk. Um, but yes, so when you are, and this also can relate back to what I said to you a little bit ago about competing versus completing. I encourage you to, whether you are using Benjamin Moore, Sherwin-Williams, Dunn Edwards, Farrow and Ball, whoever you are using, I encourage you to order the larger samples of the whites. And you can order them in 8 by 10s and put them on a separate ring so that you have those whites at your um, fingertips. So you can very easily select a trim color. But let's say within that sample, and let me pull up my whites here. And again, for those that have a deck, I'll give you a visual that you can relate to. I'm going to go to strip 
254. 254. And on strip 254, we have pearly white, which is a cool white. And we have ivory lace, which is a warm white. So if I'm using something that is staging friendly, and I put that color next to my pearly white and my ivory lace, you'll see that the ivory lace will seem to support the color more clearly. Also, if you're mixing colors in a room and you say, hey, wait a minute, this strip looks better with the cool white and this one looks better with a warm white, then you're probably mixing together colors that compete as opposed to complete. That's very cool. And how about paint finishes? Like how does that change the way we see or perceive colors? Well, definitely paint finishes are something that you must be careful with. Now, there's been a, a trend using like high glosses in, you know, in a high-end um, situation, but your walls better be pock free. I, I think of most walls when we look at them, they're kind of like my thighs are anymore. There's some cellulite there. And so the higher the sheen, the more those imperfections in the wall are going to use. I typically am going to stick with an eggshell finish on my wall. So it has a little more sheen than a flat which means that it has a little more cleanability, but I'm not going to go with anything much more vibrant than that. Now, the one thing that you want to look at is every company has its own version. Sherwin-Williams eggshell may not be the same as Benjamin Moore's eggshell and so on. So look at where they are, whatever they call it. It's going to be that step up from flat is going to be the best way to go to. When it comes to woodwork, again, I'm going to go back to the quality of the woodwork. Semi-gloss has been the go-to finish for woodwork um, in homes. And again, it depends on your woodwork. If your woodwork's not really all that interesting, then maybe just going with a satin so that you get a little bit of sheen, a little bit of light playing off of it, but you're not really going to be drawn to the shininess of the woodwork. If the woodwork is thick and beautiful and really fits the scale of the room, then definitely use a semi-gloss or even a gloss because that again becomes one of your money makers or your price validators. Is there any circumstances where we use high gloss? Because personally, for example, I really like matte. Like I prefer the finish of matte. But I, I see people, like I see it on the, the paint deck. So I'm always curious if anyone ever uses high gloss. Certainly. I mean, if you look at Architectural Digest, House Beautiful, you're going to see people that have used that high gloss um, finish. I think there are places, if you're doing something very contemporary or modern, I think a high gloss can be a great look. 
But again, if your walls aren't perfect, then don't try to be creative with that finish in an attempt to be cutting edge because all you're going to do is draw attention to that orange peel finish that is very common on walls anymore. You know, to get a wall completely smooth enough that a high gloss looks great, you really need to have some master uh, finishers to have created that. So it all goes back to the quality of the wall. Again, on my thighs, I would not put Lycra <laughs> on there anymore. I mean, it's going to be a jersey fabric. And it, it really is the same thing. It's going to accentuate those flaws. I see. And another big factor is light. So can you talk a little bit about light quality and how it influences the way we see colors? Absolutely. And we all know that light can completely change the paint color that is on your wall. So there are a few things that you need to keep in mind. First of all, you need to become very familiar with what today's light bulbs can do to a, a color in a room. And I encourage my client to use the same type of light throughout the space. If, I, if you're doing an open concept, the light source should be the same bulb throughout. Also, when it comes to exterior lighting, do I have a north, south, east, west? The thing is that yes, those will impact the color, but they're only going to impact the color for a certain period of time each day. So I have a wonderful family room with a whole wall of windows that faces east. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is watch the, the sunrise uh, in the morning over that pond. My wall color looks different. My wall color changes in the morning, but by 10 o'clock, the wall color is exactly what I pictured it to be because the sun has moved just enough that I'm not getting that. So one of the things that I want you to think about the direction geographically that you're facing is that that is going to change from moment to moment. So a very important thing and although I know that your audience is uh, primarily staging, but I want you to think about if you do have design or decorating clients, you need to make sure that that final selection is made at the time of day that they use that house. So when I do color consultations, I do them from 10 to 2. That's the sweet time. That's when I'm going to get a clear vision of what the colors look like. But the final selection may be at six o'clock at night because I may find a color that is awesome at noon and at six o'clock it gets muddy or seven o'clock it gets muddy depending on their exposure. So time of day determination is important. When you are staging, encourage your clients to use the same type of lighting, the same color temperature in their bulbs throughout the house. I had a client a couple of years back, and she had done revere pewter everywhere. Cindy, I have to tell you, if I hear the word revere pewter <laughs> one more time, I'm going to vomit. But what was so fascinating even for me, who gets it, at the end of the day, we were working into the evening in her home, and 
the lights all got turned on and Revere Pewter looked purple in her dining room. Now, one would never call Revere Pewter purple. If anything, you're going to see green in Revere Pewter, but it actually looked pink or purple in that room, while the kitchen that was the same exact color looked very green. And the difference was simply in the light bulbs. So control what you can control. That's a really good point. I think light bulb is really key, and I think most people don't realize how much of an impact it can have on your paint colors. So, is there a go-to light bulb you recommend when it comes to staging? I tend to try to stay at about twenty-five hundred to three thousand. In my lights, that's going to give me kind of a soft daylight color in there. And you know what? The word that I want to say just completely escaped me. I cannot believe this. Is it the Kelvin, the color temperature? Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm supposed <laughs> to be an expert and I just blew my cover. So, yes, I would say 2,500 to 3,000 Kelvin degrees is a good place for you to be. Now, in an area, let Let's say you are selling that kitchen and they just put in quartz countertop and you have lights over that countertop. You make sure that you amp up. You're going to take the Calvin degrees over that island and you're going to put them at 3,500 or even 4,000 Calvin degrees. So you go, hello, look at this counter. You have to have this house. So use the lighting to draw attention to something that you really want to stand out. But the overall task lighting in the home, try to stay at 2,500 to 3,000 Kelvin degrees. That's great. I love that. And it sounds like a lot of stagers like Sherwin-Williams, including yourself. Because personally, I love Farrow and Ball and Benjamin Moore, and that's what I normally use. I was just going to say to you, let me tell you why I use Sherwin-Williams is when I developed my color class um, about 13 years ago now, I reached out to all of the paint companies and said, would you be willing to send me 500 color decks and continue to supply me with color decks at no charge? Sherwin-Williams had them on my doorstep in three days. Amazing. Yeah, they seem to be very sager friendly. Exactly. So that is why I use Sherwin-Williams in my um, color class. But we also talk about Benjamin Moore and the others. And I have to tell you, Pharaoh and Ball, there is something about a Pharaoh and Ball color that no one else has been able to duplicate. There's a richness to them. But Pharaoh and Ball is not as accessible no, it's not. Yeah. for many of us around the country. And the other company's colors who I love are Dun Edwards. I love the Dun Edwards color palette. But again, if you're not located in the Southwest, it's a company that many don't even know anything about. I also like PPG colors, but as I said, Sherwin-Williams is my go-to because they have always had such great customer service. Benjamin Moore, who can't love Benjamin Moore? No. And Benjamin Moore, the primary uh, selection of Benjamin Moore colors are stager friendly. They tend to use more tones and neutralized 
um, colors where Sherwin-Williams and PPG tend to also bring in some more of those clean, crisp colors, which work perfectly if I'm working in the South or where it's much warmer. Those colors are going to work very well. Yeah, I'm I'm obsessed with like fair and ball colors, but I noticed that not every area is going to look great with fair and ball because there are a company based in UK and a lot of UK light it's like a softbox because they have a lot of fog and a lot of element in their air. So yes. in areas like Seattle that looks perfect because it's very similar weather condition, but in like sunny Southern California like fair and ball it don't work. Well, will yes. not work. Yeah, so I, I do think light is a huge factor when it comes to paint selection. Absolutely. I remember walking into a restaurant in Atlanta. I was in Atlanta to teach color class, and I walked in with a, a group of people to have dinner, and they had a white on the walls. But this wasn't white. This was, let me roll around in this white naked kind of color. I mean, I adored it. And I said something to the server. Do you know what color this is on the wall or who the paint company is? And he said, it's just a white. It's like, oh, no, honey, this is not just a white. But, you know, being in the industry, you know, you and I have a much more discerning eye, as will our listeners. So yes, there is something about Pharaoh and Ball. Their color palette is very small. Um, and as you say, they, they don't work well in certain geographic areas, and they're not readily available. And your client will sometimes cringe at the, the price. price point. Yeah, they are more expensive because they're like hand-mixed and like yes. handmade in like a small company setting. They're not like a super huge international company like Benjamin Moore. Yeah. Right, right. Yes. And as I said, I do not do not want to, you know, leave out my friends at Benjamin Moore because I think Benjamin Moore has a beautiful color palette. But sorry, Benjamin Moore, when I needed 500 decks, <laughs> they weren't sitting on my doorstep in three days. I know. I think a lot of interior designers use them. But the thing is, that's the other thing too, when you're hiring a paint contractor, because the Benjamin Moore paint is going to be more expensive per gallon. So they're going to take that color you gave them, the Benjamin Moore color, and they're going to try to match it with a cheaper paint. I've noticed that in staging because paint contractor is going to be like, I'm just going to use the cheapest paint that looks the same. But the quality is a bit different because I noticed some other brands are a bit more watery. They don't have enough pigments in the paint. So then we have right. to buy more paint to compensate for that. Absolutely. And within each company, they have varying qualities within each company. So, you know, I never am going to use the low end paint from any company, whoever it may be. So I'm going to pay a little bit more. So as you say, it is going to be more pigment rich. It's going to go on the walls better. It'll have more hideability. I do think that any one of these paint companies that say covers in one coat, uh, there isn't a paint company out there yet that I've seen that I think hides well in one coat. And there's also a richness about the depth of that second or, or even third coat in some cases of a color that you almost feel like you can look into it. So don't buy a color, no matter what their advertising says, 
be prepared to do two coats to really give you that beautiful finish. So when you go on an appointment to do a color consult, what are some of the things you're looking for? Let's say for a staging scenario. Well, first of all, of course, I'm going to look at my permanent elements in that house. You know, what can't change? Um, I don't care what color the sofa is. What color is the stone, the brick, the fireplace, the cabinetry, the finishes in the house? So you need to look at those fixed elements first so that you can complement those because those fixed elements are, again, your money makers and your price validators in that house. So that is where I am going to um, begin. I also am going to think about how I use color as in, you know, what do I want the eye path? Where do I want the eye to go with the color. So as I'm making choices, I keep my mind thinking about how I want to lead the client through the space. I think it's also important with color that we create some surprises. Because when the normal person looks at houses, now there was a statistic at one time that said the average person looks at 12 homes before they make their decision. Now, depending on where you live and what the market is doing, uh, for example, I work in Seattle every other month. And let me tell you, as you may very well know, uh, in Seattle last year, people were buying houses without even going to see them. The market was so hot. But most people will look at multiple homes. So when you are selecting color, again, don't opt for the oatmeal look all the way through that house. Think about things that someone will later say, hey, remember the house that had the blah, 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 whatever you may want that to be. And color can be an important part of that. I think that's amazing. And it just, I think there's so many variables when it comes to choosing the right colors. And for staging purposes, do you normally only specify maybe one color or it's different colors in different rooms? Um, usually what I will do is I will work one strip. So I don't want to use just one color. I want to create some interest. I want it to almost look like light is playing. So again, keep in mind, if we're looking at a strip of color, typically has seven values on it. So I may work with, you know, whatever the strip number way may be. It may be that value two and three are the bulk of my wall colors. And maybe four becomes my dining room. And maybe five became my powder room. So by working down one strip, I know that everything's going to flow. Most of these strips are what they call a color thread. They step beautifully off of one another. So by working with one strip, you can create some interest. You can give each room its own identity without it looking choppy. You know, those days of we have a red room, a yellow room, and a blue room are gone. But work values in a way that creates interest in the space. That's great. And are there any tools or apps that you're using right now for choosing colors that you recommend to our listeners? I love 
using any of the virtual color programs. Sherwin-Williams has it. Benjamin Moore has it where you can upload the color of a room. But normally for staging, we don't necessarily have to sell the client on the color. So I find that when I am staging, I don't necessarily need that help of that extra app. However, for you, just to become comfortable and to understand what it will do, upload those photos of the room and paint them in the colors that you are choosing so that you can understand the difference in the colors. That's a great recommendation. One thing I want to say in regards to that, let's say you're looking at a, a color and you're looking at, um, I'm just going to pull out a color. I'm looking at, uh, let's say, Humble Gold in Sherwin-Williams on Strip 130. And I think, oh, that's the color I want. And you upload the picture of your room. You outline it. It's very, very user-friendly. The first time you use it, it'll seem a little intimidating. But once you outline the spaces that you want to change the color, then all you do is hit a button. You can change the color a hundred times. And in fact, for me, I use that on my design jobs for my color consultations. I make that an upcharge for my client. But what shows up on your screen may not look like the humble gold that is in your strip. So sometimes you may need to manipulate that a little bit, that what looks like humble gold in your strip may actually be enjou pair, just because of the calibration. So never expect those to be exact. Yeah, the way we display colors on the computer and the way we see it printed is different. It's a different color system. Absolutely. And I do have a few listeners' questions I want to squeeze in. So Al asked, if the gray color palettes that have been popular are fading, are we going back to beige or what's next? Beige is definitely coming back. And also that transition of those warm grays or what many people refer to as grayish um, are a really great way to transition those colors. I just was at market at the Las Vegas market. I was seeing beige and gold everywhere. And although I was still seeing grays, the grays were much more full bodied and warmer. I don't think it's time yet as a stager to be painting your walls out in a beige color. I think we still have a year of the warm grays being the primary way to go. But start bringing beiges and those warm colors back in, including yellows and golds, back into your inventory. If you are still just using the aqua, the blue-green family that has been so popular for the last five years, if that is your go-to accent color in all of your inventory and your accessories, please start changing that out or use that aqua that blue-green with some yellow-orange or even red-orange to give it some interest. I love that. And can you give some guidance uh, on exterior paint colors? Elle specifically asked, no gray, please. And then she's asking also, are bright door colors fading as well? I I think that 
door colors, statement door colors, I think are still in. I, I think that's a great way to go. But as I said, make sure when you are using an accent color on the door that you get the saturations right. Make sure you're using saturations that complete, not compete. Also, this is a place where you really want to watch that sheen. My mother and I drove by a house today and they had painted the front door red. I love a, a red front door. Always have, always will. This red was so wrong that my mother and I both kind of, you know, it was like watching a show where Dracula has to cover his eyes from the sun because both of us like covered our eyes. It was way too glossy and the red was way too saturated against a an old brick on the building. So it was a classic case of competing saturations. So yes, use color on the door. Make sure the saturation that you are using are tones or muted versions of the color and not bright, vibrant. And as I said, keep that sheen down. Go with a uh, semi-gloss. Uh, rarely can you go with a high gloss unless, again, it's a contemporary or modern styling. And then she does ask about some guidance on exterior paint colors as well. I mean, I feel like that's really largely depending on the neighborhood and then also the light. Um, yeah, basically, I look at the outside of the house the same way I look at the inside of the house. What are the permanent colors that I have to work with? What's in the roof color? What's in the uh, flower beds that is going to stay there? Use that as your jumping off point. You know, what are the colors that I need to mix together? And what will prove as the best backdrop? Also, I think the one thing we have to think about, Cindy, when it comes to color is we always need to remember what the color's job is. So when you're painting the exterior of the color, are you looking to make the house stand out or are you looking at it to become a great backdrop for the landscaping? Because that will make a difference. I don't want my house and my gardens to compete with one another if I have this fabulous landscaping in there. Now my color will become more of a backdrop, much like uh, we've heard, in, you know, we set the stage for what happens. You can't have too many stars going on. There's got to be co-stars and a supporting cast. So as you're looking at your color, Think about what do you want to be the star. Number two, whatever color you're thinking of for your house, chances are you should go two shades darker in value. So if you're looking at, you know, that very top color, let's say I'm looking at strip 218, rain washed is at the very top, which is a beautiful color inside. Outside, due to all the light, that color will just look washed out and gray. So I'm going to drop down two values and go to the Halicon Green. When you make this suggestion to a client, oftentimes they'll say, oh my God, no, that's way too much color. But help them to understand that exactly like you said, Cindy, there's so much more light from every possible direction. It is really going to impact that color. So whatever color you think is great, chances are you need to deepen it one or two values. I think that's an awesome point because I think that's 
a lot of times people are afraid to commit. Or when my mom first bought the house they live in now, and she picked this yellow, which she saw looks great on the pink deck. And then when they finished painting it during like lunchtime, it looked like a giant stick of butter. Oh yes, and then the neighbor happened to walk by when we got to the house, and the neighbor was like, "Are you gonna keep the house this color?" <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. So yes, yes. So I think that's a really good point, and that's the other thing too is like people are always afraid to test colors, and they should definitely do that whenever、definitely. they're yeah, and paint a large piece, not just like a tiny little square. Yes, definitely. And yellows are one of the toughest colors. To work with because they do within and of themselves they have their own glow. So you're right, but yeah,、uh, I mean we've all seen that house that you think, oh God, I feel sorry for their neighbors that they have to look at this every day. So keep in mind, like I said, just like the inside of the house, what is stain? What is permanent here? And what color would I use that would best? Accent and highlight、um, these colors here. And Arling, our listener, also has another great question. She asks, "I still see a lot of white walls in model homes here in California. So, what are some example of color trends besides white?" Well, white is still in. Again, I just went to market, and I, I'm telling you that whole、uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines look of you know modern farmhouse. It's not going away. You and I may be tired of it because we see it all more, but our clients are still in love with it. And I do think that there is a case where. White can be beautiful, but I think again we need to think about using whites that have some character to them and that are not too cool based. You know, blue toned whites or violet whites are just going to end up feeling stark. So, and the other thing that we have to go back to is what else is in the room. So, if someone's doing white walls, but they are doing a lot of, you know. Antique furniture or vintage pieces in those beautiful, warm honey wood colors—they're just not going to play well with the cool whites. So, if you want to do whites, absolutely go with it. I don't think that trend is going away for a while, but make sure that if the bulk of what you're working with has some warmth, that you add some warmth to that color as well. That's fantastic. And our show is coming to the end, so I just one last question for you. What would be、All、your、right. number one tip when it comes to choosing colors for the home to sell? The number one tip is to make sure that you mix colors in a way by manipulating value that pulls the client through the property. So, in today's open concept, I think it's important to not get stuck into just one. Um, color, so I think you need to manipulate that color. And as I said, using my one strip trick, it, that's going to work every time for you. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh my god, that、my、was、pleasure. amazing. 
My pleasure, and thank you for inviting me. I'm um, delighted and honored to be here. And if anyone has any questions, they are welcome to reach out to me. And um, uh, maybe down the road we can do this again because I kept thinking, oh, but I want to tell them this and I want to tell them that. So time always gets in the way. This episode is brought to you by SocialLightVault.com. Are you overwhelmed with the marketing your home staging business? Stop wasting time worrying or wondering if you're doing the right things. From social media to email newsletter that get attention of listing agents, Social Life Vault makes marketing simple and effective. You don't need a huge marketing budget. You don't need a huge audience either. You just need real marketing tools that work and the right sales funnel to deliver new leads, even when you aren't working. The team at Socialite specializes in marketing for home stagers. Get started today by going to socialitevault.com. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com slash podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging.